Like Sharon said, we are a few weeks into a series where we're talking about spiritual gifts, and she did allude to this idea that as we have been teaching on the spiritual gifts, these Sunday services have felt a little bit like, let me give you a lecture on what this spiritual gift is. Let me tell you what it is and then give you kind of some pro tips on how you can engage with it. That's the format we're going to run through today as well. But what's been really amazing is that as we've been teaching through this series, we've been asking God by your Holy Spirit, would you pour out your gifts on your church? And every single week since we started this series, I can, I can tell you there is a story from every single week of something where God has confirmed that he is in fact answering that prayer to pour out his gifts on the church. Uh, in fact, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later this morning. But I just want to kind of remind you of what these gifts are that we're talking about. You heard Sharon read them to you a moment ago. But up on the screen, we'll put up for you kind of the breakdown of what this series looks like. These are the 12 gifts. They're not in the order that you just heard Sharon read them to you, but they're in the order that we're preaching through them. And so you can see that uh, if you've been following along with the series, we've discussed words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and then discernment of spirits. And so those are what are called the revelation gifts. When we get to the end of this series, we'll We'll be talking about gifts of inspiration, and today we're starting that middle column. So today we're talking about faith, and specifically the gift of faith. Now, this is a little bit why it's, it's cool for uh, friends of mine to send me text messages that say, get your hopes up when you're talking about uh, the gift of faith. But this is what we're going to be starting today, looking at the, the power gifts. And let me just add a little bit of a caveat, point of clarity, just so that we don't get confused here. We talked about this early on when we started this series. When we call these power gifts, that doesn't mean that these are the gifts that give you superpowers. Uh, the spiritual gifts of God that he pours out on his people, they are for his people. So number one, you have to be a disciple of Jesus. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? So that is the first thing that would make you eligible. And then we believe that then the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to be poured out on the church. And so we, we call that those people who have received the, the Holy Spirit on their life, we call them spirit-filled people. We call the process by which you become spirit-filled the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you're baptized in water, meaning you're fully emerged in water. is a, a metaphor for how you are then fully emerged in God as your King and Savior and Lord of your life. And you're also baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning he fills your life, covers your life, leads your life. And so we are spirit-filled people who are expectant that God is pouring out his gifts on spirit-filled people in this church. And we are seeing, uh, we're seeing stories about that happening. But today we're going to talk about faith. Now, the thing about faith is that if you look at the rest of these gifts, you can kind of you can kind of see how they all seem tangible. I mean, we're going to talk about miracles and healing pretty soon. Like, you know what that is, right? Like, that's a, that's a tangible thing. But then you, you look at faith, and you almost begin to wonder, like, what, what is that? It, it feels kind of ethereal, and it, it's, it feels almost like an idea or, or an emotion, like a feeling that you can have. And so what our job today is going to be is to talk a little bit about faith, because even though it feels in that list, like, does that one even really fit as a spiritual gift? We have to talk about what faith is, and then we have to talk about how, that's, how the gift of faith is something other than just general faith. But first things first, I want to tell you this. Faith, faith in general, is hugely important in the kingdom of God. In fact, you might be familiar with Hebrews 11:6 which says without faith it is impossible to please God. So without faith, and just for the record, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but I, I would say when when we see that word, the author of Hebrews uses that word faith there. That's a reference to without faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who is the only way to the Father, without what we would call Christian faith, it is impossible to please God. So we can already see, man, faith must be really, really important. But then the gift of faith, because faith is so important in our relationship with God, I would argue that the gift of faith might also be you could argue, might be one of the most important of these nine gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, you might be one of those people who says, well, all the gifts are equally important. And what I would just say is it's possible that the gift of faith 
might actually be engaged in all of the other gifts. That, that's what I mean by that. Um, whether you call that the most versatile, the most engaged gift, whatever word you want to use there, but I just think the gift of faith is so important. So it's important that we understand it. And while the gift of faith and faith in general are not the same thing, I would say to you, you cannot understand the gift of faith without understanding faith in general. And so my hope is today that by the end of this teaching that you will, number one, understand a little bit more about the nature of faith, and number two, have some foundational insights into what the gift of faith is and how you can engage with it. And remember that 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that the Holy Spirit pours out the gifts on each person as he sees fit. So you might be sitting here listening to this, and as you're listening, you're realizing, oh, those are the words for the gift that the Holy Spirit has given me. You might be listening to me describe you today as a person who has the gift of faith. Or you might not. Regardless, this is very important for us to hear because the gifts were poured out for all of the church. And so Andrew might have the gift of faith, and Marcus might have the gift of prophecy, but they need each other because the gifts were given for, what did, what did Paul call it? The common good, right? So we partner together. Even if you don't personally have this gift, you know, have to know what it is and how it works so that you can celebrate it, make room for it, partner with it when you see it. So why don't we begin at the beginning on a conversation about the gift of faith. Let's define faith so that you know what the gift of faith is. So as we've been doing during this series, we'll define our first term. And let's go to scripture first. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. If you've ever asked anybody who knows the Bible, what is faith? They're going to take you to Hebrews 11, verse 1. So I just read to you verse 6. We'll back up to the beginning of that chapter. And this is what the author of Hebrews says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's take a minute just so we understand what faith is and kind of break this definition, this biblical definition down, but I'll add a little bit of other kind of understanding to it. If, if you could indulge me with a dictionary.com definition. Okay. Dictionary.com defines the word faith like this. Confidence or trust in a person or a thing. Belief that is not based on proof. That actually is a really helpful definition. Belief that is not based on proof, right? You don't have to have faith that I have a water bottle on the podium today you could, you could see it. If you were feeling cheeky, you could come and steal it and drink it in front of me, and then I'd be upset with you. Uh, but you, don't need, you, you have the evidence, so you don't need faith. It's just there. It's, it's hard facts that we can all see and touch. Uh, it goes on to say belief in God or in the doctrines or teaching of religion, belief in anything as a code of ethics, standards, and merit. So the secular definition of faith is going to use that word applied to anything. Uh, we would make the distinction, which is why you'll hear me a couple times today, use the term Christian faith. We're narrowing our focus. And when I say Christian faith, I'm talking about the kind of faith the Bible teaches us to have. Now, if you were looking into the original language for the word faith, the Greek word means to persuade or to be persuaded or convinced. So I want you to notice here, first of all, that faith is not simply a wish that you make. It's actually not even a hope that you have because faith is the substance of what is hoped for. So hope is its own thing. Hope is defined as the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. The Greek word for hope here is the expectation, again, not a wish, expectation of what is sure or certain. So this might sound interesting or, or weird because it's not the way we normally use it, but I have hope that 1 o'clock p.m. will arrive at some point today. In fact, I can tell you exactly when it'll happen. I don't have time, and I wanna, I'm not quick on my feet with math, so I'm not going to tell you how long from now that is, but Espy's good with numbers, so ask her. But not right now. That would be very distracting. But we have hope. We hope in 1 p.m. I have full confidence and expectation. 1 p.m. is coming. And you're hoping that I'm not preaching still by then. Right? I won't be. You can have full hope that I won't be. But again, hope is not a wish. Wish means to want or desire or long for. I don't mean to diminish the idea of a wish. You can wish for something. I've been wishing for a TARDIS blue Mini Cooper for the better part of two decades. It still hasn't happened. I don't have hope in owning a... Mini Cooper, but I wish for it. You see the difference? Okay, so 
the hope for something is an expression of confidence that it will come to pass. And then faith is the substance of what you hope for. It's interesting that that word substance really means something. Like that really changes the idea of faith. So many people, if you ask them what faith is, they would just say, oh, well, faith is the way I worship God, or faith is that I'm a Christian. Well, <laughs> faith is that I believe John 3.16. I think it's actually so much more than that because faith is substance of what you hope for. Now, let, let me just clarify. We are in a Pentecostal church, so it's always important that we draw back to clarity on some of these things. Uh, faith and the, being the substance of things hoped for does not mean that faith is already having what you hoped for. It doesn't mean I possess it. Again, I possess a water bottle. I don't hope for a water bottle. I don't have faith for a water bottle. I own a water bottle. Actually, to tell you the truth, I don't know where that water bottle came from. It was just sitting on the front row today, and it wasn't open, so I thought probably was for me. <laughs> if I stole your water bottle on accident, I just felt like I needed to confess that now that I was using it as a sermon illustration. But faith is not possession of what is hoped for because faith is also the evidence of things not seen, right? It's, it's the evidence of things I cannot see. If all of that has just felt like a fire hose of words, let's boil that down to a bit of a definition, all right? We could say, therefore, with all of that having been said, faith is the conviction that leads to acting as if an outcome is certain despite not having already been accomplished. Let me read that to you again. Faith is the conviction that leads to acting as if an outcome is certain despite not already having been accomplished. It, it, it has to lead to something. What, is, what does my faith lead to? It doesn't lead to a conviction. It leads to action. Right? Faith doesn't lead to me being convinced of something. Faith actually leads to me doing something. So when somebody says to you, what does faith mean? And they say, I believe John 3.16. You go, that's the starting point of faith. The question that you would respond with would be, but what are you doing because you say you believe John 3.16? Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not experience death, but would experience life everlasting, eternal life because of the love of God. The question is, if you really have faith, how has that changed you? How are you living different? It's a conviction that leads to the acting as if an outcome is certain. And what is the certain outcome that Christian faith leads us to act a certain way because we are convinced that something is coming in the future? It's the certain return of Jesus. This story has an end, and it ends with an exclamation mark. We win. We were just singing about it today. You're never going to let me down. I mean, that has a prophetic declaration, end times kind of implication. We definitely know how this story ends. This is what, what we mean, faith. We don't just mean we believe that something happened 2,000 years ago and it was neat. Yay, let's write songs about it. No, this is a life-changing event that has future implications. So we act as if that was real and so will that be. Do you understand? This is what it looks like to live in faith. Uh, Christian faith, then, implies a conviction about something that you cannot otherwise see or accomplish on your own, and that conviction leads you to do something. I love what George Mueller once wrote. He said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. So again, you can't have faith in your ability to do something. We ask Kyle to come and play drums pretty regularly on a Sunday. I don't have faith in Kyle's drumming. I've seen him do it. Super, like I just heard, I just heard it, experienced it. Depending on how close you were to the front, you felt it. When, when Chris plays drums, you definitely feel it. Kyle, we're always telling him, play harder. I, I have faith that you can play harder. <laughs> One day I'll see it. <laughs> He's, sorry. Sorry, Kyle. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus. 
I think here actually it's really important and helpful if we make a distinction between what you believe, what you're convicted about, and then understand that this, would why, this is why we refer to, or why we made up the phrase, uh, an act of faith. Have you ever heard somebody say that? I took an, a step of faith. Maybe you heard someone say a leap of faith. You ever heard an expression like that? So this is because faith in itself is not an action, but it leads to action, right? So faith is uh, a step of faith, or, or it's a leap of faith. Have you ever seen that Indiana Jones movie? It's old now. This isn't a spoiler. It's been too long. If you're going to get mad at me that you haven't seen a spoiler, uh, there's the Indiana Jones movie where he, he throws out the sand over the cavern, the cavernous cliff thingy, uh, and, and the sand just floats there because he had heard this legend of an invisible bridge, right? It was, it, it was faith that convinced him there was a bridge there. He tested his faith, which you have permission to do. Uh, and, and then the step of faith is actually the action that proved that he really had faith, that there was a bridge there. Now, you go put your full weight on a bridge you cannot see. Yeah. I mean, I think we call that Christianity. But again, faith is its action. And if it is action, or if it leads to action, rather, if faith leads to action, couldn't you also say that Faith is meaningless if it doesn't lead to action. You're nervous about agreeing with that, but James actually made that really, really clear. In James chapter 2, he said, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith? I believe John 3.16. That's a great verse. I believe that. That's what it means for me to have faith. I just believe it. I mean, I do whatever else I want. Whenever else I want, I don't actually have to change my life in any way based on Scripture, but I believe the words. I believe them. I agree with them. They're good. I don't live according to them, but they're good. I know you don't ever do that or know anyone personally who does that, but some people struggle with this. Here's what James says. If someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, I love this illustration, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? What good is it? It's not good at all. It's not helpful. Thank you for your kind words. I cannot eat them. James goes on. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. These are the people who go to the church and they say, oh, you wanted me to serve Jesus? You didn't want me to just sing to Jesus? No, I, I don't do that religious stuff. I just have a personal, private relationship with God. I don't actually do anything with my faith. You have, you, you, you have faith by works. I, I just have faith. James says, show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. What he's saying is you cannot actually argue that you have living faith unless you show how that has led you to do something as a result. And for some of you, just in case you're feeling like I'm really stepping on your toes, I just want you to, say, I just want you to understand, for some of you, showing up to church today is an act of faith, a step of faith. You're here well done. You've demonstrated an element of your faith. I believe that Christian community is good. I believe that church attendance is, is scriptural and that we should go and be a part and not neglect the gathering together of the saints as some people do. And all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching, I believe this is important. So I showed up today. Regardless of all of the things that I was feeling, I'm here. I sang the song. I prayed the prayers. I'm listening to the sermon right now. I'm here. This is an act of faith. Good job. But if this is your only act of faith, be careful. Maybe, maybe I would just go so far as to say, not just be careful, come alive. If faith is substance, remember Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. If faith is substance, it's tangible, it's substantive, it has meat to it, then obviously faith is dead without works, if you don't do anything with it. Faith literally cannot exist without doing something, which is why James gives the example of feeding people, not just saying, I hope you, have, I hope you find something to eat, but actually doing something about it. 
And then I would go so far as to say this, if your belief in God doesn't drive you to work, James would teach us that you don't have faith. You may have religious practices. You may have a family legacy conviction that you feel really guilty about not uh, you know, engaging in your parents' religion, but you probably don't actually have faith in Jesus if it doesn't drive you to do something. The classic example of faith that is tangible, that I can show you, is one that you are all practicing right now in this moment. Marcus, help me with this chair, man. Thank you. Yeah, right there. That's good. That's good. You can, you can let it go. Do you have faith that this will hold up my weight? Be kind. Thank you. Look, this is the teaching. Faith is all of us together, we believe, we expect, we have confidence, conviction that when I sit down on this chair, make sure it's close enough, uh, when I sit down on this chair that it will hold me up. This is the act of faith. This proves my faith. I can stand here all along and go, yeah, that's a good chair. Marcus moved it. I wiggled it a little bit and couldn't get it unhooked. But Marcus really moved it. He kind of held it here. It's like a real actual thing. It's not a hologram. Uh, it, it actually exists in the world. It seems kind of sturdy. Yeah, you know, look, like that is the act of faith, though. This is the step of faith, right? And if your religion told you I'm not allowed to do what I'm doing right now, just take a breath. It's just a chair. <laughs> it is okay. This is faith. Everybody take a breath. That's the act of faith that confirmed that you really, really do have faith that the air in this room is not toxic. Right? When you jump into a pool, hopefully you get an opportunity to do that at some point this summer, when you submerge your head underwater and you do not take in a breath, that's the act of faith that says, I believe if I draw in breath right now, I will die. So you don't breathe is equally an act of faith. Does this make sense? So do we understand a little bit about faith right now? That faith must be active. You can't just say that you believe something. You must do something about it. We've walked through this as a church. If you've been around Life Church since before we merged, we planted a church called Life Church back in 2011. And I remember that God just really put his, his favor on this, in the, on this church plant. We were growing better than our leadership was capable. Uh, we just were seeing people getting saved and being discipled, and awesome things were happening. And, and we needed a new building. We were meeting uh, back in this place that we called the bank building. You want to guess why? It used to be a bank. Um, by the way, here's an interesting thing, just as a side note. It just dawned on me as I was preparing this sermon, thinking about this illustration, that Life Church had, had a history of going into places that never had churches in them. And to this day, every place that we started to put a church still has a church there. It's not us, but there's a church there still. Isn't that cool? Just, I don't know the significance of that in any way. I just It's awesome to think that. Well, we had gone into a place. We were in this bank building, and we were... Uh, we needed a bigger space, and we had actually this whole map, kind of how we were going to like revamp the whole building to have bigger space. And I told my district supervisor, I had him come out and say, hey, what do you think if we restructure, knock these walls down? And he said, if you don't go find a bigger building, if you don't lead your church into a bigger building, I'll fire you, come pastor the church myself, and move them into a bigger building. So get out of here. So that gave me some faith. Um, <laughs> But I remember what faith felt like for our church in a season. We were meeting this tiny little bank building. Uh, the sanctuary for our entire bank building was a, a little bit wider than this center aisle in this room. Um, and, and so anyway, there's a lot of stories I could tell you about that. But we knew we needed a bigger space, and we found a space. It was on the boulevard. So guess what we named it? The Boulevard Building. Yeah. 
we asked the city if we would be able to move our church into it, and we were told very clearly, absolutely not, because if you know anything about city zoning, there's certain things that buildings in certain areas of the cities are allowed to be used for, and they actually had an ordinance in there that actually said churches were not on the list to be eligible to be used in any of the buildings in the downtown boulevard area, because they had done this beautiful remodel, and we just felt like God had told us, plant this church right here in the heart of the city. And so we, we started asking around, and they said, don't even, don't even uh, legally apply for it. Don't ask to rent it at all. It would just be impossible. The city will never let you do it. And I felt a conviction that the Lord had said, no, this is your building. And so I, I took a risk, and I told our core team, and then we began to tell some other people, and we began to just get a sense. What do you think about this building? We really feel like God has told us that this is our this is our space, and every single person that I told who was a part of our church that I said, I think God's leading us into this building, they, every single one of them said, I absolutely affirm that. I think that you're hearing the Lord. God is leading us into this building. And so we have a problem. God's leading us into a place we're not allowed to go. So we led the church. We said, okay, we're going to do a couple of things. Number one, we're going to ask you to pray every single day. And we gave a prayer. We said, post this up on your fridge. Pray this with us every single day and ask God to make a way for that building to be ours. And then on several Sundays, we're going to leave church after, after service. We're going to drive over. We're just going to walk around the building. I mean, we went Old Testament on that thing, right? We're just going to walk around the building until it's ours. I remember one night, I actually got up out of bed. I don't even know if Sharon knew that I left the house. I just got up out of bed. It was like middle of the night, I drove out to the building, and I just walked, and I'm praying in tongues, walking up and down the street, and I put my, my, my earphones in, just so that people would think I was on a phone call. I didn't want to get arrested in the middle of the night, uh, and so I remember walking up and down the street, just praying, and just declaring, God, you said this was going to be our building. You're going to make a way, and there was a young man who had walked, he was walking down the street, and he crossed the street. and was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy, uh, so we were scaring people in the spirit, I guess. I, 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 hope, I hope that guy met Jesus at some point, um, but we were praying for the building, and all the while, we're applying for permits that the city's telling us we're never going to get. We're applying for permits, and then we kind of nudged through all the different things, and we went through all the different processes, and we got all of the paperwork filled out. We had to apply for what's called a conditional use permit and go to a city hall meeting and ask the city council for permission, and we were told very clearly, you're going to have to like beg and plead and all that kind of stuff, and they're probably going to tell you no. So I just did the only thing I knew how to do. I said, all my friends have been praying with me. All right, Life Church, meet me at City Hall at this time. We had like 40, 50 people outside City Hall. We show up. I don't think the City Hall has ever had that many people attend a city council meeting ever like we just showed up filled up a whole section life church just left side section of the city council chambers they went through all their other business they were talking about like solar panels and all kinds of other silly stuff and important stuff and they were doing the city business i'm just like praying in the spirit sitting on the front row god give us this building you said this was going to be our building and so then they get to the place where they say, okay, the, there's representatives from, from a church here. They want to apply for a conditional use permit for the building over here on the boulevard in the corner. Um, and uh, it's not zoned for that, but there's a, a representative here. And, uh, and the mayor just sits there up at the top, and he goes, looks at the paperwork. He goes, yeah, I don't have any problem with this. Looks to his left, you guys have any problem with this? They all say no. You guys have any problem with this? They all say no. And I'm just sitting here like... This is not how I was told this was going to go. <laughs> Something weird is happening right now. And then so he goes, so, so then I was told you will be given an opportunity to make a public appeal to the city council. And so I was like, I had a speech prepared. I stayed up all night writing a speech. And it had scripture in it. It was like, how, I'm going to preach the gospel to the city council and tell them how we're going to leave a footprint of a better world right here on the boulevard. I mean, it was a good speech, guys. I'm almost sad no one got to hear it. Because I'm like, I, I don't think I still have it. I don't think you can hear it now. But I remember sitting on the front row and the mayor going, well, so who's the representative? There's a, there's a, a uh, Timothy Lee here. I don't know why I put my full name. I felt I was trying to be formal. Um, and, 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 and he goes, well, before you say anything, let's just vote. 
And so they all voted, 100%, unanimous approval. And I'm just sitting there like, am I still going to have to give the speech now? I don't know. And so the mayor looks out, and I go, I'm here, sir. I felt like I was like an elementary school kid that had like not done my homework for some reason, all of it, which was how I felt every day at elementary school, because I never did my homework. And, and he goes, well, where is this person? And so I'm like, I'm here. And he goes, do you still feel like you need to say anything? I go, no. Do you still need me to say anything? He's like, if you don't want to talk, you don't have to talk. And I go, do we stay? He goes, you don't have to stay if you don't want. So 40 people stood up and just walked out of the city council meeting. It was wild. But God is good. We knew that God had promised us that building. Faith was not God told us. And we believed he told us. Faith was filling out a conditional use permit and going to a city, city council meeting when we were told we would hear the word no. And isn't it interesting? I mean, it doesn't work out like this every single time. But isn't it interesting how much easier than what we thought it was going to be it actually ended up being? It's wild. It's wild. Walked out of that city hall meeting, and as I'm walking out of the meeting, the meeting's still going on inside. I thought I was going to be giving a speech during that moment. I walk outside, and I'm just like bewildered. Because what I'm thinking is like, man, I just asked all these people to like come over here and skip dinner <laughs> for like a two-minute meeting. And so we just sat out there, and we just prayed. We just thanked God for a building. And then we moved in, and we had church, and people got saved, and we got to make an impact on the city in the place where God told us we were going to be. Faith, faith must be active. It must be. It has to be, right? But also, if it's alive, if it's alive, it can grow. Faith can grow. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us where faith comes from. Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. In other words, you, the, the seed form of Christian faith is the gospel, the good news about Jesus, right? And if the seed of the good news is planted in your heart, then, then that can grow up in your life and begin to look like mature faith. And then Paul actually talks to the Christians in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, when he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Now he gives them this awesome compliment. He says, because your faith is growing abundantly. I love that. The picture there, he's painting this, this verbal image. If you look into the original language, what he's actually saying is not that it has grown, but that it's growing and it continues to grow. It, it, there, it shows no signs of stopping, that your faith is growing. And by the way, all of this, this idea that faith can grow, this explains why Jesus more than once looks at his disciples and say, you of little faith, which is a, a, a statement I never want to hear Jesus say to me, but I confess that I have heard him say to me before in moments where my faith has felt small and frail and insignificant and like it can't do anything. But large faith or strong faith or growing faith is measured when your conviction about God is consistently seen in what we would call corresponding action. In other words, you know that you have big faith or strong faith or grown-up faith when you can say, I believe something and I'm regularly living as if what I believe is really actually true. If you believe that the Bible meant it when it said you'll lay hands on the sick and they will be healed, then faith means that when you see a sick person, you say, can we lay hands on you for healing? Right? Which, just for the record, I was just with somebody recently, and we prayed for them, laid hands on them, and God healed their legs. Like a, like a story, that's a story of physical healing. My friend Alex Branding is in the room today, and he just gave the appropriate response. He heard a story about a miracle, and he clapped his hands. Guys, I just told you a story about somebody who was sick and had a physical ailment. We lay hands on them, and they were physically healed. That's not a Bible story. That happened like three weeks ago. Okay, so faith must be alive and active. Uh, it must be activated in order to be real. It can grow, and it can be misplaced, right? You can put your faith in all kinds of other things. 
misplaced faith is when you put your faith in something that's fickle, that, that will ultimately fail, eventually uh, not give its promise, not do what it said that it would do, and then that would lead you to what would be called a crisis of faith uh, because you put your hope in something that failed you. Our hope is that one day God would say about our faith what was able to be said about the people of Israel uh, in Joshua chapter 21 where it said, none of the good promises of the Lord that the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. We want to be people who are so tied to God by our faith that those words could be applied to us one day. Amen? All right, now, I have taken like an entire sermon just to talk to you about what faith is so that I can very, very easily and quickly explain to you what the gift of faith is. Now that you know what faith is, I can say this about the gift of faith. First of all, all Christians have faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For you were saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. And Romans 12, 3 says, God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So everybody has faith who believes in Jesus. All Christians have faith. But the gift of faith is a supernatural surge of confidence and expectation for a specific purpose given by the Holy Spirit during times of need and hardship. Let me say that to you again. A, the gift of faith, the supernatural or the spiritual gift of faith, which is given to some believers, is a supernatural surge of confidence and expectation for a specific purpose given by the Holy Spirit during times of need or hardship. And the purpose of the gift of faith is to empower disciples of Jesus to believe God for great and specific great things. So I have faith. I'm a man of faith. The story I told you about the boulevard building was an expression of the gift of faith. Because I don't walk around all the time just claiming buildings for the church. I, I don't do that. I mean, I'd love to have a church. In fact, Dan and I always used to say, when the, you remember the, when the Walmart closed down because they built the new Walmart? We would drive by there and go, wouldn't it be so cool to have a church so big you needed a building like that? Not so that we'd be awesome, but so that it would just be a sign of how many people are getting saved in the Antelope Valley. I still drive by that building and go, God, build a church in that building sometime. One day. It'd be cool if we needed it. Go preach the gospel to your friends. It's probably a different sermon. But I'm just saying, I don't do that regularly. I don't have like a list of buildings or a, a list of stuff on my mind that I'm like constantly experiencing this surge of faith. Uh, have you ever experienced a surge of adrenaline? I've heard stories of people who have had a surge of adrenaline who can lift things suddenly that they otherwise can't physically lift. Now apply that to your spiritual faith, to your, to your faith life. The gift of faith is similar in nature to that. You've all been given a measure of faith if you believe in Christ as Lord. The gift of faith is when you have a supernatural surge of faith. Now, I have a lot of other things that I want to say to you today, and I do not have time to tell most of them to you. Can I just say two things to you, and then we're going to move towards some practical stuff, and then we'll wrap up. And I, I know I phrase that like a question. I'm going to do what I want. All right. I want to tell you a story from Scripture, and I want to tell you something that uh, my now district supervisor and friend of mine said to me on the phone uh, just this week as we were talking. Um, and, I, and I actually think that this is a prophetic word that he spoke over my wife and I, but he also declared this over our ministry. So that means you, because we're partners in ministry together, Life Church. All right, so here's what he said to me. We were talking about just seasons of ministry, and he was checking in on me. He was praying for me. He was asking me some questions about kind of where I'm at. He knows I just finished uh, a school program, so we were talking about all kinds of different things. At the end of it, he's just like, we love you. We love your church. I just want to bless you. And I said, we're just beginning now to see God do some really cool things in our church as we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And his response, this is, by the way, Pastor Billy Calderwood, who several months ago came and preached at our church. He's now our district supervisor. He's been a friend of mine for about a decade now, and he's a real good guy, and here's the Lord. And he said to me, he said, I really have a sense that God is supercharging your faith. Now, he said that to me. I hadn't written this part of my sermon yet, so I hadn't gotten to the point where I'd written the words, um, you know, the gift of faith is like supercharging your faith. So I confess that I stole that line from what he said to me on the phone. I give Billy Calderwood full credit for that. But then he gave me an illustration. He said, he said, imagine, Tim, two cars. One is like an old beater 
like, uh, like just like an old, like vintage, ancient car, and one is a really tuned in, dialed in race car. Now, both Billy and I, in having said that, have reached the maximum of what we both know about cars. But he said, he said, but I do understand this, and this was the image that he felt like the Lord was given to, to me and my wife and to our ministry, which is you, is that there is, um, he said, there is, uh, the, if you put nitrous, which is if you've seen the Fast and the Furious movies, the nitrous is the, it's, it's the stuff that makes the car go faster. <laughs> People who know stuff about cars are sitting right over here, and they're all laughing at me right now, but... But you, if you, it, I saw a Fast and Furious movie. You push the button, and it goes. Did I get it right? Yeah, Parker's like, yeah, that's terrible, but close. Now here's here's what Billy said. If you were to put the nitrous on the old beater, it would destroy the car. You push the button and rip it apart. If, but you, so he said, so you need to put it on a vehicle that is equipped, tuned, dialed in, and strong enough to handle the boost, right? Okay, so, so the word that he gave to, to us was your ministry looks more like the dialed-in car than you think that it does. So get ready for God to push the button. That was in the context of me telling him, I've seen uh, in, in the last four weeks, I can think of five people who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, two people who have told me firsthand that they've received the gift of speaking in tongues, and one miraculous physical healing miracle that I just told you about a moment ago. In four weeks, and we haven't even, did you see the list? We haven't even talked about miracles in tongues yet in this series. God is doing stuff that we haven't even taught about yet. That's awesome. Okay, so... Here's, that, it's a good word to say you look more like the souped up car that is ready to receive what God wants to do than, than the, the church that is disoriented or disunified or doesn't have faith in God, okay? What I heard our district supervisor say to us is God is about to pour out the gift of faith onto the people of Life Church. And so the question I have for you, and then I want to read a story that will help to put this in biblical context. The question that I have for you is how is your faith? How is your faith? As, as one of the co-senior pastors of this church, I take full responsibility for positioning this church leading the structures of the church and making sure that we have people connected to other people and people in leadership positions who have strong and good faith and, and that our structures are good and healthy and aimed toward gooder and healthier. Like that's my job as the senior pastor of the church. And it's great to hear my supervisor say, I affirm the work that you are doing, which is really great to hear, knowing how not every church can receive a word like that right now because it has been a very difficult few years. And so thank God for his pouring out of grace that he's given to our church for the last few years. I cannot tell you how much that makes me want to keep on serving here for the rest of my life to see what else God could do. But this also has to be a personal question. How is your faith? How, how dialed in are you? Are you ready? If God were to pour out a gift of faith for you, if God were to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, I want you to believe for something impossible, a boulevard building story, is your faith going to fall apart if it got supercharged? Are you, or are you ready? And ready would mean, do you have enough of a foundation of faith that says, I believe in the God of the Bible who still today does miracles? That it could sustain the charge. Turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin to end on this. And man, I have so much more I wanted to tell you today. But <laughs> someone is egging me on. It's not one o'clock yet. 
Here's a story. Let me put it in context. As you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter 5, let me tell you this. Um, Jesus is hanging out, and somebody comes to him and says, I have a young woman in my home who is dying. I need you to come quickly and lay hands on her and pray that she would be healed so that she could live. And Jesus says, on it, let's go. You lead the way. And as he's following, there is a large crowd. Because at this point, Jesus is at a point in his ministry where people know the word is out. This man is a miracle worker, right? And so the large crowd gathers around him. And as he's going, you can imagine trying to go through this large crowd, his patience has been slowed down a little bit. And this woman who was, uh, who was dealing with the Bible says an issue of blood for many years. She spent all of her money trying to get doctors to fix it. No one could fix it. She's asked all of the other people to pray and nothing, none of, nothing has worked. And she's just run out of options. And so what she knows is mo- moving his way through this crowd of people is this miracle worker that people call Jesus. And I just had this, this, this moment. She thinks in herself, in her mind, she goes, if I could just touch even the hem of his garment, just, just the seam of his clothing, then I believe that I could receive a healing miracle today, right? And so she pushes through the crowd, and because she was considered culturally unclean, for her to even go into the crowd, she was already breaking cultural norms, and she slows Jesus' progress down to go save this girl's life even more by touching the hem of the garment. He says, I felt power go out for me, turns around, who touched me, he says. She says, it was me, I'm the one who broke all, all of the cultural norms, and then he blesses her, and she was healed, and he, he, she says to Jesus, your faith has made you well. She had a surge of faith, and it, and it was her faith that led her to take the action, and because her action led her to touch Jesus, she was healed. That's not even the point of the story for what I want to tell you about right now, but that's amazing. But for all of, it, all of the time it took me to tell that part of the story, that part of the story slowed Jesus down. Remember how this story began? I've got a young woman in my house. She's dying. Come quick. Okay, let's go. You lead the way. Time out. I'm healing a person. <laughs> While all of this is happening, one of the servants from the man's house comes and says, she's dead. Tell the master he doesn't need to come. I mean, just think about your own life for a second. Have you ever been in a place where you have been asking Jesus to do something and on the way to a miracle, believing, hoping, asking, begging, something dies? Jesus says, don't worry about it, I'm still coming. Don't worry about it, I'm still coming. In fact, what he actually says, says, when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid. Only believe. So he pulls in his, his, his inner circle, Peter, James, John, James's brother. They come to the leader's house, and they saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And this is Mark chapter 5, verse 39. He went in and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. That's such a good good statement for Jesus to make. Why are you weeping? The child's not dead, but asleep. And watch how the room responds. Remember the car illustration. How's your faith? Are you ready to receive? Would a gift of faith ruin it? Would it make it fall apart? Can you handle it? Are you strong enough in your faith that God would say, now run faster? believe for more, they laughed at him. They laughed at him. They laughed at him. They were, they were cool to hang out for the miracle when the girl was still alive, but you took too long, Jesus. This is over now. We're done asking. Oh, and now you want to show up, you clown? You showed up too late. Get out of here. But Jesus said, get out. Look, verse 40. They laughed at him. But he put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with him. Those who were with him was those those few that he gathered, his inner circle, his tribe, his people, his friends who had faith. He took them. He entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand, and he said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. 
immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Hmm. And he said, give her something to eat. Which, by the way, I think is actually just like evidence. She's not a ghost. <laughs> this is real. Feed her. Act of faith. Agree with the miracle. On a strictly uh, spiritual side note, I would say if you are one of those people that God said to you, I'm reviving your spirit today. Remember during praise and worship that, that God was saying that? I'm calling for your spiritual revival. And I said at the end of that moment, uh, begin to act like you're alive. This would be where Jesus would say, give them something to eat. Act like a hungry person. You know, the best way that you can stay spiritually alive is eat. Just like the best way you can stay spiritually or physically alive is to eat. Right? So you might have gotten into the mess that needed the prayer that you needed this morning because you hadn't been reading your word. You haven't been spending time with God. You haven't been praying. How is your faith? The gift of faith is poured out on those who the Holy Spirit wills. And I firmly believe that he will not ask you to do something supernaturally charged with the gift of faith if your regular faith is super weak. So how is your faith? Do you believe in Jesus? And, 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 and I want to make this practical for you in, in a sense that I want to give you like some tips on how you can engage in the gift of faith if you have it and what you can do as we're beginning to wrap up. Then I want to tell you something that we should all be doing and then we're going to pray. That's how we're going to end the, the rest of our time together today. And then I might have to circle back around and preach the rest of my sermon because uh, I skipped like 75% of my notes just to get to where we are at today. I really just feel like God is leading us to a moment where he wants us to pray. Okay? If you are engaging the gift of faith, if you believe you have the gift of faith, like in a moment you feel like, man, I feel a supercharging of my conviction to be able to believe God for something. Maybe you're just in a season of that or in a moment of that. The first thing that you do, these are five basic tips. Number one, check what you have faith for with the Word of God. We've been saying this every single week. God will never tell you to do something or believe for something or act on something that doesn't agree with Scripture. Okay, number two, ask God to, to lead your actions in response to your faith. In other words, don't just say you believe for something. Ask God to show you what to do because you believe for something. Number three, recruit people of faith to partner with you in prayer and action. Notice how Jesus grabbed, he didn't even grab all the 12, just three, right? Just three. Oh, I'm going to grab Peter, because when I tell him to do crazy stuff, he believes for crazy stuff. Peter, come with me. We're about to see a girl raised from the dead. And, and Peter's like, I'm all about that, Jesus. Right? Get the ones who are, have big faith already. Recruit your friends to partner and pray with you in action and in prayer. Number four, do whatever radical thing God leads you to do, even if you end up with a modern-day raise-a-girl-from-the-dead kind of story or a boulevard building story where you do something that everybody else says you cannot do, but God told you to do it, and it agrees with Scripture, then do the thing. Pray the prayer. Say the words, share the story, lay hands on the sick. And number five, keep your faith in God, not on the outcome. Keep your faith in God, not on the outcome. We don't, we don't worship God. We don't ask him for faith. We don't ask him for miracles so that we can say, look at the shiny miracle that I got. The gift of faith is not permission for you to name and claim a car. God wants you to have so many blessings. More than you even know how to ask for. He wants you to be blessed. But this is not for your profit. This is for the church's benefit. Right? And so if the outcome doesn't look like what you were expecting and you lose faith, you didn't actually have faith. You had a barter system. So keep your faith in God, not on the outcome. And I would just then also say this, uh, thinking back to the story about Jesus, a final thought here. 
Um, how we respond to the gift of faith in other people often determines whether or not we get to see the miraculous thing or if we just hear about it on the back end. I was saying to our church uh, prayer group this morning before service, I shared briefly this story about from Mark chapter 6, and I said to them, we are already seeing miracles. Do you want to be in the room? How's your faith life, church? Because I'm telling you, you're currently attending a church where miracles are happening. And so you can clap for that. And that's good. You should. Absolutely. But then tomorrow, we should still expect it. And when Jesus nudges your heart, when the Holy Spirit fills your heart with faith, pushes the nitrous button on the vehicle of your faith and says, I'm supercharging you to believe for this person's healing, that breakthrough, that, that circumstance to turn around, whatever it is, don't be a mocker. Don't be the person who says, but God, I haven't seen you move like that in years. Do you, do you even still? Don't be the one that says, could anything good come out of Lancaster? A prophetic word was given recently in a moment of prayer to the leaders of this church uh, that said, God is going to begin to use people in this church who you wouldn't expect if you just looked at him with your eyes. So I just want you to know that if you're the person who says, but look at my life, I don't look like a leader. I don't sound like a leader. I don't know how to talk in front of people. I, I don't know that I've been walking with Jesus long enough. Look, God just called you out and said, if you love Jesus, literally nothing else can, can disqualify you. And engage your faith. Make it strong. Grow and be ready to be used by God. Can you begin to see now why I said I feel like this might be the most important of the nine gifts? We need faith. And I don't know how else to engage it except to tell you, go lean into the word. Dig into scripture. Be hungry for the things of God. And join me in prayer. Faith is given to people of prayer. People who give their lives over fully to God. Are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't know how else to respond to this except to invite you to pray with me. So we're going to do this. We're ending all of our messages during the rest of this series with a prayer that we're going to pray together. We're going to pray that prayer together. And then I've asked several of my friends to come up into the front of the room. And they're just going to be here standing in the front. And they're going to be ready to, to pray with you. And in fact, just as I'm looking around the room, um, I'm going to ask uh, a couple of people who I'm pointing at right now. Um, who, Mary Lou, will you come as well and just be a person who would receive people for, for prayer? Don, why don't you come up now? Uh, Marcus and Liz, will you come up as well? You guys, yep. Um, so these are some folks who I've asked to, to come and just be ready to pray with you. Um, here's what I'm going to invite you to come and pray with them about. And I'm, we're going to do two things. Number one, I want to invite you to come and pray with these people if you have yet to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you have questions or you don't have questions but you just haven't done it yet and you know I, I, need, to, I need to receive all of the fullness of what God has for me these are spirit filled people who will just lay hands on you and pray with you a prayer that will sound like this Jesus you said you would send the Holy Spirit so send the Holy Spirit and then you would say I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then let's just see what God would do as he pours out his gifts on a spirit filled person right? There might be a place also where you would say, I need a miracle today. And I know we prayed during worship, but I just want to cover even more. I want to share it with somebody. Uh, maybe somebody, God has done something in your life already and you have a miracle story, maybe already from today or from this week. Come and share that with these people because we want to continue to hear what is God doing in the church. And the second thing I would say is uh, if you didn't want to stand up and walk all the way up to the front because there's somebody next to you that feel like, man, I really need to pray with this person today before I leave. We just, you have permission to do that too. 
Just turn and, and pray with your neighbors uh, for anything that you want to pray with your neighbors about as well, uh, because you don't actually need a person uh, who is standing in front of a room to pray for you. You can pray with each other as well. But these folks are here to receive you, uh, to pray with you as well. But let's end our service uh, together today by praying this prayer uh, as well. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand to your feet uh, to pray this prayer with me as we've been ending our services or our series. And then when we say amen, I'm just going to say, God bless you. I'm going to walk off. I'm going to be available to pray with you as well. And then you can come for prayer and pray with each other and take as long as you need before you get out of here today. Let's pray this prayer together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love and for the gifts you pour out on your church. As we pursue the fullness of your presence and power, use us to be a gift to each other and also to those outside of your church. Be honored in and through our lives. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.